Welcome to Cartoonist Kayfabe. My name is Ed Piscor. I'm Jim Rugg. And today we're doing something a little different. Going to do an audio commentary track for Masters of Comic Book Art, the uh, Harlan Ellison uh, hosted video from 1987 uh, that came right at the height of that 1986 boom in, in comic book uh, production here in America. But first, we got to let you guys know that we have a Patreon, uh, that uh, there are people watching us live stream this commentary track in real time at this very moment, and you could be there if you support the Patreon uh, at the King K Faber level. Hit the link in the description below this video. You're going to be able to see how to uh, participate, and you'll be able to join uh, the chat room in uh, that participation. Uh, we have comic books out in the wild, Red Room, Anti-Social Network, X-Men Grand Design. Uh, we have um, uh, Hip Hop Family Tree. Jimmy has Street Angel. Hulk Grand Design is coming out later this year. Plain Jane is his shoujo comic. And uh, without further ado, Jimmy, did you ever see this uh, Masters of Comic... Uh, what is it called? The Masters of Comic Book Art uh, video before? I've never seen it. And whenever we were talking about it, I thought it was the Masters of Comic Art, which was that like... Um, the book. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. book, the museum show. And I thought, oh, they made a video for that a couple of years ago. No, sir. Um, no, I was unfamiliar with this. Uh, pretty interesting document. Ed, where'd you first see it? Was this a video store rental? I was in second grade when, you know how like schools will keep open during the summer, but they'll have like Pilates classes and stuff like that. I took a comic book class taught by Wayne Wise at from Phantom of the Attic Comics here in Pittsburgh when I was in second grade. And it was between second and third grade summertime. And he played this video for us. Fast forwarded through the Steve Ditko part. He's very uh, upset about that. Uh, but that's, that's where I saw it. And the only thing that I remember from it was uh, the big horned Batman uh, that Bernie Wrightson drugged because because it stuck out like like that's not that's not Batman what are you talking about but uh, yeah I saw it, saw it as a kid didn't know what it was called and was like kind of seeking it out uh, this never played on television as far as I know Comic Book Confidential did and that's how I first saw that but this is just the the height of the VHS era when they were just making tapes about any old thing this has that quality it's kind of proto shoot interview style it's very odd in that it's like sixty one minutes. You know what I mean? Where would that ever air? Right. It's, it's such a bizarre concept. Um, one thing that, that that I thought of watching this is who would be the people featured today? Yeah. You know, it's a really interesting document, and I think the comic book part of it, the book is part of it. Sure. Because, you know, like, now it'd be, I don't know, it'd almost be too wide if you just said comic art. Um, but really an interesting snapshot. And whenever you said the comic book boom, I thought you were going to go boom, bang, pow, comics aren't just for kids because it feels That's like that it's, boom. it's in that wave. You know, it's it in is that wave. Rolling Stone article on Frank Miller's Dark Knight. It is that. That's way. what this feels like. So yeah, totally. Kind of a neat, a neat artifact. So we have a link in the description below this video to. Uh, there have been versions of this video up on uh, YouTube since the earliest days of YouTube. We'll do a little countdown uh, to let you guys know, man. Click, click the links below. Uh, take it to the place where there's the uh, the cigarette in the ashtray looking down. Uh, because not all of them have this Rhino video screen at the beginning that, that we're looking at right here. We'll do a countdown. You guys can sync up your videos, and uh, we'll we'll launch into this commentary track. How's that sound, Jimmy? Sounds good. All right, man, give them that countdown then. Three, two, one. Off the bat, man. It doesn't get more 80s sounding than this music that's playing right here, man. That's very true. This would come right off your Casio keyboard. <laughs> Name after name, as you see them come up, it's like almost everybody is gone. We, we still have Frank Miller. We still have Art Spiegelman. We still have Dave Sim. But 100%, you know, like everybody else 
is gone, including Harlan Ellison, who at this time, uh, I wonder, I think he might have been embroiled in some legal entanglements with uh, Fantagraphics at this moment. That's interesting, yeah. I was going to say, I think that's early 3D animation that was writing those signatures that totally. it was moving across the pad, which yeah. is kind of kind of interesting and feels feels good for this kind of a document. In the days of that green wireframe finger that would be on all the commercials. Yes. Hello there. My name is Harlan Ellison. Harlan Ellison has a real Casey Kasem as Shaggy and Scooby-Doo kind of delivery. They tell me that I'm world famous. He is so young whenever it's a long shot. You know, this is pre-high definition video. <laughs> he is, like, I don't know too much about him, and I've tried to read some of his stuff, I'm just not too into it, but uh, he comes off, there's a pretension. Like, the, 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 people who, the people who are outside of comics, but who, like, might be interested in them, uh, when they try to appeal to the comics people, they add this, like, pretentious air, and he'll, he'll say, like, when he says Mobius' name... Now, I know I'm not saying it right, but when he's like Moebius, and you hear Moebius say his name, and it ain't Moebius, but, but Harlan Ellison's like, for those of you who don't know French, you might call him Moebius. And it's like, well, what do you fuck you call that shit? Uh, he calls comics a genre, which uh, makes a lot of people bristle. Yeah, um, you know, in terms of that, like, kind of pretension and, and defensiveness, I think if you're really an adult, longtime comics fan, like, I think stuff was bad if you were a comics fan in the 70s or 80s defending it. So I assume that's where that, that kind of point of view comes from. Yeah. Combined with, like, this was just the vernacular. Like, I'll sure. read old essays, and it is the most, like, didactic kind of tone. And you don't see that much anymore but that was a real common way you know like it was a real like i'm, I'm telling you something yeah we're getting we're getting a real critical mass looking at comics uh, at, at at this point in time so i think there's that part where you have to have that conversation and it's i think the this this video is is uh bookended well with will eisner and uh, art Spie will eisner to start and art spiegelman to close it out uh because they're basically both kind of saying the same thing of you know they want yeah. They want comics as fine art. And I think in the end, we, we got that with Spiegelman. But the thing is, if you stay in that place with all the stuff that Spiegelman's going to suggest at the end, then you turn comics into like what happened to poetry. And I don't think there's one poet that could make a fucking living if they don't get grant money and yeah. have to whore themselves for foundations and stuff. I think that is a real thing, and I hear other people talk about it, and I usually dismiss it, but the ac academicization of comics, yeah, it can lead to a real homogenization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and, and part of what makes comics great and, and as a fan is that they are so different. Like, everybody figures out these different problem solutions on their own, but if you go through a class, then everybody figures it out the way they're taught. So it's one of those challenges, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Jumping into the Will Eisner portion of our uh, of our video, he also looks kind of like uh, Harlan Ellison. Looks like uh, Mark Hamill's stunt double. Totally, totally. Yeah, that's a good call. Like a grown-up Luke Skywalker. I love him describing this spirit page, though. Yeah. This page was in the first issue of the first Warren magazine, I believe. Man, like just burnt into my freaking mind. Will Eisner produced this strip in a Sunday <laughs> Dude, that's an ad page for Kitchen Sink, I think. <laughs> and then these black and whites, this is that Kitchen Sink series. Like, they, they uh, started off as color, but then they just used tone, and I actually like that so much more. 
it's not really Zipatone. It's it's that like you you tell the printer where you want the gray areas to be. Calls him the O Henry, which I don't think anybody wants that label put on them. But it but it is apt. There's a lot of language in this that feels like. It hasn't been codified yet, yeah. so you're trying to figure out how to describe some of this stuff in a way that would make sense to someone watching it, Yeah. but also, like, we all just use different words for a lot of the, I don't know, the, the mechanics of comics. What's interesting, too, is that uh, this, this Will Eisner would be a couple, just a couple years older than the teacher of Drew Friedman and uh, Peter Bag and, and, and all of those that dudes you know, at, at the School of Visual Arts. He is so different as a per like, like, I love video. I say this every time we watch one of these old videos, but I love seeing videos of these guys because they're so different than, like, all I know of Eisner I've read. So to see him in his own words, it's just awesome. Yeah, for sure. You never see him with the chops, you know? That's yeah. a, it's a very, you know, very specific time. It's almost like uh, when you see Dick Tracy off-model. Makes me wonder how old he is here, too. Because I'm not sure how old he was when he died, but I mean, like, he might be early 60s here. Right. And see, this is that part, this is that, like, comic, like the language of comics, uh, the pretense of, like, uh, you know, that's not comics. Like, I hate the title comics. Like, that, it's become cliche at this point. And it's almost, you know, it's him and Spiegelman were proponents of, it's not comics, it's not funny, blah, blah, blah. His thing was sequential art. Uh, it's, it's when... It's the stuff that's lobbed against Eisner when it comes to the hyperbolic pretension of his thing. Because, like, the way he talks and the end result of the comic are, are really two different things. But it is cool to see his motivations uh, and how he talks about, you know, I'm interested in acting. I'm interested in I watch people. Yeah, timing of the page. And he, he constantly refers to uh, to uh, the, the stage yes. as being, like, a high... The, the cultural pinnacle or whatever of visual arts or something in, in the States. And I think during our Drew Friedman shoot interview, if it wasn't on the record, Drew might have said it off the record, where, where um, Will Eisner could never say that he just was sitting down like watching an episode of Kojak or something. <laughs> he, he would say that like, I was walking by, you know, walking through the living room and the TV was on. <laughs> Uh, so he could never say that he watched TV, but he did get a little yeah. bit of that. But you could see this That's is another this is, one of those lowbrow media. This, you know? this is a pure melodrama mm -hmm. with these characters. It's it, it's hyperbolic stuff, you know. But it's very stagey, it's very acted. You know, the guy in the back row has to be able to tell what's happening. Yes, and I think he mentions working in theater very early on in yeah. his life and, and, and learning some of the lighting ideas and. Honestly, that's stuff I think that can still be applied. Totally, because that's composition. That's that's uh, direction devices. It's a lot of it's drama. We looked at that Gilbert uh, Hernandez piece where he's talking about I didn't want to draw the whole living room, so I have a wall. I have the guy who's always dressed up. He's got his his, his outside clothes off. You see the the shadow of the um, window, and that's enough to convey yeah the uh, living room. Yeah, and it comes up in that uh, Eisner-Miller book, as they talk about, set up and staging. These comics are my DNA, man. That that I found that um, kitchen sink run of yeah. the comic books of uh, The Spirit. I, I found those things for, for nickels on the dollar uh, when when I was a, a kid and just read and reread those a million times. This is probably from like the first issue that becomes the black and white stuff. And that image right there with the jailbreak 
Look yes. at that. That soupy sky. You know what always impressed me with those? Because I would get old comics and they usually sucked. They'd be poorly reproduced and stuff. I would get those early spirit reprints. They were drawn so well. Oh, yeah. It was real easy to get sucked into those because, like, they might have been old, but they didn't really look old. Yeah. I love his enthusiasm for the medium. That idea that there's so much more to do. All right, we're on to uh, we're on to the Kurtzman section of the game, man. And at this point, you get the impression that uh, these are Harlan Ellison choices of people who are showing up, and you know he he, he calls it right most most of the time. He is reading off a piece of paper. I'm imagining he wrote these little blurbs about these guys. Yeah, I bet. Certainly made him his own. Yeah. Um, here's another th- question I'll pose to you, Ed, as we go through this. You think anybody didn't make it on? Like, if you were going to add two people to this, who would they be? So I think of that as we go. I think that I think that Alan Moore, yeah, uh, probably turned this down. I'm sure he was asked why. Why would he not be? Um, Crumb maybe should should probably have uh, been in this thing. Basically, anybody from that Masters of Comic Art uh, book that that uh, exists, Jaime or Gilbert. Yeah, I feel like if you're including Sim, that the Hernandez brothers would make sense. Like, there's some indication of alternative comics, you know, there. Yeah, yeah. Sim, Sim is like the one interesting thing, and I guess you could make the argument that uh, uh, sort of broke ground in like self-publishing. And or specifically direct market comic book shop self-publishing because what was Zap? You know that was yeah. clearly independent. I think, I think uh, also he was a graphic novelist way before that was a trendy. Thing. That's true. Format because it was something that I did A little bit of the stammering with with the these old timers made me think about the possibility that they might have only have ever gotten interviewed ten times in their whole lives, even for fanzines. You know, this might be the the second interview that Kurtzman ever did on on a, a video screen. It's a really good point. Um, I love when he's naming like his collaborators and it's so and, and, and dropping like, a little formal like their friend. You know, like it's great. Willie and Woody and talk about their little strengths and and the stuff that he dug about their works. This stuff that this part that he's talking about digging in the college uh, in the garbage pails. Phil Felix, my lettering teacher from the Kubert School, who was Harvey Kurtzman's assistant, said that he would literally go dumpster diving with Harvey Kurtzman after school, like as one of his assistant like duties. One of the things that they would pull out from you know these Lower East Side Manhattan dumpsters, uh, King paintings. They were like the early... They, really? Yeah, they would pull those things out of the trash and keep them. So I believe him finding these college uh, yearbooks and, and being inspired by them. This is the bit where he's talking about his collabos with uh, the, the, the crown jewels of Mad Magazine. Willie Elder. Woody. This is a part where it feels like Kurtzman's uh, comfortable talking uh, when he talks about the chicken fat. I, like that's something that feels rehearsed, something that he might have said on a lot of panel discussions and things. But it was so rare, you know, to get these guys on cam, to get them in a talkative state. Uh, I would, I would, I would want a one hour with each of these guys. Oh yeah, for sure. It is a, a very different like um, 
I don't know, media awareness or something from this generation. Yeah. And it, and it shows you, it shows you how like a Stan Lee, like if you just have command of, of, of a little charisma, how you can kind of rise. Look at that Will Elder dude. I'm looking at the shadow on that girl's tummy. It's like incredible. the light off the belly button. Are you I fucking kidding me? That guy's insane. And then insane. there's like eleven figures behind that are that are almost equally rendered. Magazine called Help. It was a comic strip called Goodman Beaver. We're gonna look at this at one point on the channel. The uh, the Goodman Beaver uh, kitchen sink collection. Yeah, I would always see those in those kitchen sink catalogs, and was always too stupid to buy it. This would be uh, an image that would be in some of the house ads that would be like in those kitchen sink spirits, and the amount of detail, like on the ground, uh, on that curb, is just astounding. That's a pretty great image. A million ways to make titty jokes <laughs> is a uh, little Annie Fanny. We need to look at Hey Look at some point, I, because like that one was a big one for me. I was reading like one pagers. Oh like, yeah, what can you do in one page? There was a kitchen sink produced uh, from the seventies called uh, Kurtzman Comics, uh, and has a bunch of those one pagers on there. And he's he's breaking fourth wall. Yeah, uh, even in, in those pages, I remember that my favorite one is uh, his wife like pours him coffee and they're having like a fight, and he drinks it and and spills it out, he, like spits it out. Spills it out and, and it's like it's ink. Yeah. <laughs> His philosophies of, of comedy, like this is the only place you get that is is this video. You fell off his balloon. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so like when you get Jack Kirby and then you hear you hear him chatting, right? And he's kind of He's very internal. You could tell that he spends a lot of time by himself and doesn't have not talking to a camera. The space to 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 cogently have his reader's digest version of, of the stuff that he's thinking about. You can see how a Stanley can walk all over him in terms of the charisma when they do the interviews. You know, there's famous things whenever uh, they did interviews in like the sixties, whenever the college crowd really started getting into this stuff. And, you know, they spend a day with Kirby, they spend a day with Lee. And they cut all the Kirby stuff out of the uh, interview. It's hard. It's hard to argue. That Hulk was a recolored Hulk that they show. Yeah, it makes me wonder, like, who did that? Why? Mm. This that that uh, look at the tangent on that cigar. Did you see that? It was exactly in line with the window pane. That is an iconic. It sure is. Self-portrait. Surprised that he calls it three comics and doesn't mention Jimmy Olsen. Right. But it is a nice summary and uh, pretty respectful of the fourth world stuff at a time before I think that stuff gained the respect it has today. Check out what Jack has on his walls. Man, he's got a Wallywood inked Skymasters Sunday. Behind him looks like an EC painting. Like, I, I can't tell what it looks yeah, like. Tell. The Crypt Keeper and stuff. It looks like the three EC horror hosts. That's interesting. I wonder if that's a print. Remember how a couple of those guys would do uh, paintings of those hosts? Yeah, Russ Cochran would uh, mm -hmm. handle that stuff. But Kirby is very metaphysical here. I had to make sales, he says. Yes. Right? Beautiful. Nobody says that anymore. And if you read like Kniff interviews or anything, like those guys talk about that so, like that's it. That's the whole job. <laughs> it's the job, man. Like uh, it's a commercial art form. You can choose to 
to make your art comic, but do not be mad when nobody buys it or when 15 people buy it. Or when you don't have a publisher or an issue too. You're right. In front of this tremendous figure, who I know very well, because I've always love his voice too. Me too. I, I certainly couldn't treat him in the same way that I would any ordinary mortal. And I remember very humble. Story, mm -hmm. I had to back away from. Reminds me of like if you ever hear like Robert E. Howard talk about Conan writing Conan, where he's like the presence is behind him. It almost sounds like some of those ideas that Kirby talks about, you know, like almost channeling these concepts. And that was the beginning of his adventure. And they were Yeah, talk about the flow state that you must get into when you're drawing five, six, eight pages a, a day. And you, you you know, you and I are talking about the struggles of like you work on a project. You know, you finish a story and then you're at ground zero for the writing of the next one. Kirby could never be in that position. Right. You know, he was always on that fucking grind, man. Obviously, collaborative comics and he had anchors and writers to tighten things up and stuff. But it's interesting to look at like when they were showing Silver Surfer on the screen. And it, it's such a ludicrous concept. Like... To me, that's some of the language he invents, is the ability to, to do a story with Silver Surfer that's, like, just a straight story. Yeah. Then you tried to do with that ski guy. And very good sales, which satisfied me immensely. Now, I didn't resolve the question. I'm a guy who lives with a lot of This is that part, man, where he's like, I'm a man with a lot of questions. And, you know, this is a man, a senior in age... Uh, I think Harlan Ellison calls it calls it great at the beginning where he's like this guy was at every stage of comic books yeah. from the beginning but uh, this is where I feel like like mortality is is in Kirby's mind here man he's like you know if I go today I have to admit that I'm satisfied you know like the questions were great he never knew the answers in life but I wonder uh, you know how close to 87 this is because it'd be like that Comics Journal interview that we did with, you know, looked at, at the Kirby. Yeah. So it's kind of around that time. That's a result of evolving. From what I understand... I like that evolvement, because that's, that's that blue-collar shit, you know? This is a dude that spent his time drawing. And they added a few pages to that, and you had a comic book. This is great. It is. History of the comics. Yeah. And he's like, we're going to have to think about that, right? Like, what is the next evolution going to be? And the technology wasn't there, but, you know, it's it's the internet. It's web comics. I mean, obviously, graphic novels. What is it? Where is it going? How it evolve? Imagine the conversations. Like, if he were if he were this age now, you know, where people would have access, like, come on the show, let's talk. The stuff that he would, you know, that's going on in his head. Yeah. Now, this is the part that uh, I think that the art teacher was most excited to, like, get some Ditko on the record when he got the tape or whatever, and was tremendously disappointed uh, in Ditko because, I mean, Ditko's reading something. He's he's not he's not just uh, having a conversation. He's, he's reading a manifesto that's very much like those Ditko package comics that, that he's, he did in his later days that's just uh, a filibuster about Randy and philosophy. It's so cool to actually hear his voice. It's amazing that he uh, 
participated. I was going to ask. I wasn't sure that was even him, if that was somebody that was reading his words, like he had written a statement and somebody, an a, a voice actor, read it. You know what? That's a good question. Mark Ditko would know. Hey, Mark, man, let us know. Is it the man? Uh, but I think it's amazing that uh, Wayne was like, we're not, we're not showing this part. Yeah. To, to second grader. Right, right, right. He's like, yeah, we don't need this piece, Were you just man. confused? No, yeah, and fast-forwarded it. Yeah. You know, just went right through it, and I was, like, fine with that. Because, you know, he would stop it at maybe a cool image, and then it's like, oh, no, still, still more of that. Uh, because it is just, it is a screed, man. It's it's uh, everything you wanted to know about Mr. A is, is kind of in this dialogue about humans as a model. Good and bad. Uh, I still think about how the the sort of anecdote Alan Moore says about Steve Ditko seeing Watchmen and saying, "Oh, Rorschach, oh, he's like he's like Mr. A, but uh, crazy." <laughs> it's really neat the pieces that they put together for the Ditko because, like, the way he's using words and images, it's pretty wild stuff here. It's it's almost abstract. It feels it outside abstract. of um, like models that Scott McCloud would describe. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, man. Rationality is a potential. You're getting lots of the black and white. Oh, yeah. Logic applied to reason. The standard of measurement for all. I always wish that, um, like, I'd love to hear Dan Klaus talk about later era Ditko. Yeah. You know, or any of these guys, any any critics, any artists that are really into Ditko, because I just don't hear much about it. If this uh, video does does well, this commentary track, like, I would submit that the next one we do would maybe be the In Search of Steve Ditko, Jonathan Ross. Neil Gaiman is on there and talks about those late period comics. And he's like, they're not so much comics. It's essentially the manifesto of his his ideologies and stuff but the thing is he never stopped with the drawing chops he's maintained the drawing chops the 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 entire time and uh there do you have the safest place yes i feel like that might be like one of the last kind of cogent steve ditko helmed complete works i don't know that it's cogent but at least it looks like comics it looks like there's storytelling and cause and effect with images that have narrative value. Also in that uh, In Search of Steve Ditko, that has the Stan Lee interview that makes him look the schmuckiest ever. Mm. Did you ever see this thing, man? No, I haven't. Where Stan Lee is like, I believe that Steve Ditko thinks that he created Spider-Man, so if he wants to think that, I'm okay with that. And like, you know, just such legal gymnastic talk, you know? The lettering becomes very mechanical, like towards the end, like very architectural. The the way that your woodshop teacher would like insist that you use the lettering guide, real right. straight up and downs. Boy, the art looks great on screen, though. It does. I think the guy from uh, who who made this tape, he he hit us up. Uh, in an email during year one of uh, putting this channel together. It does make me curious because it, it seems brilliant on uh, Ellison's part. Right. You know, as comics are starting to break through, like he's one of the front guys that are like putting, it, putting himself next to them. Pretty shrewd. Yeah. You know, I don't know how calculated it is or how it came together, but I mean, I feel like that's a good move for whoever took that host role and 
And, you know, I think he makes the most of it. Yeah, it's interesting, like, you know, what's the impetus for the whole thing? That's true. You know, like, and is, is Harlan Ellison's interest, is it in, you know, how people are currying favor and, and, and creating sides and factions whenever there's, like, a legal case? You know, we've, we've done several court cases on the on the channel and went through transcriptions and things and they would they would they would build teams you know so it's like harlan ellison building team team harlan here putting some goodwill to the comics public it's so hard to tell you know like with his credits it could also be a thing where some producer shows up and is like hey what do you want to do comics are hot right now mm -hmm. so like we can make a little money comics are hot right now vhs is hot right now Let's make cost like a budget perspective. Like, what is this? Shoot, shoot Harlan Ellison for a day talking, and then like head just edit. Yeah. Wow, Steve Ditko must have the biggest uh, footprint on this whole video. It's sixty <laughs> minutes, and he talked to about ten guys. Yes. So it looks like Uncle Steve is getting about ten minutes at a time. It feels like thirty. Yeah. Uh, that's almost EC-like, that image right there. You know, whenever the internet first started and people would blog and they'd show, like, panels out of context, I can remember just, like, puzzling over how great it would look and I'd track down the page and it'd be like, okay, that's cool. But there was something about, like, this type of presentation really is great for a video like this. You know, every one of these images they show is spectacular. Good pans and stuff. I wonder how they, hey, how you would do that thing. It was, is the camera on a, like a, on a belt or something? Like how do you do pans like that? Because it's very mechanical. Yeah, I'm sure there's a system. Oh, Steve. Yeah, you hear this stuff and you just think like, was he just miserable for decades? <laughs> I uh, we went to Johnstown, PA, yeah. two years ago uh, when Mark Ditko put up the uh, big exhibit, and he had a rich family life. He visited a That's family. Not, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, that always sounds good to me. When you start to get the Neil Adams and you get the rights in, uh, it makes me think of the early TCJ interview that Ellison did with Gary Groth, where he's laying out the the people that that were sexy to him in comics. And for dudes of that older generation, like Neil Adams and Bernie Wrightson are the top dogs in comic book art. I can see why. Like, when those guys were, were sort of at their A level, I mean, it still stands up. Yeah. Now, we saw Eisner. He's a teacher, so he has some experience talking in front of the public. You got your Kurtzman, you got your, your Kirby, you got your Ditko, and they're a little more reserved, inward-type souls, a little stammering and things. Neil Adams got the, got the Pompidou, and he talks like he believes it. You know, like he believes the stuff he's saying. If a guy and an artist and a writer try real hard, it's got to be a good comic. Is that true? Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> Got that pencil sharpener we all had in every class. I think probably the opportunity to Boy, he looks great there. He does, man. Got that trench. Create composition that looking like a private eye. Always had good hair. It wasn't like He does look like a private eye. It wasn't like comic strips which I had done for a period of time I love the idea of talking about like trying to manipulate the pacing of the page with the imagery and like grabbing the reader by the throat and and getting people to follow him the way he wants them to 
But you see the confidence in the guy. Yes. You know, he's got he's got a, a good energy, a good boss energy. This is the leader of Continuity Studios right there, baby. And, and he is looking at these pages like as a graphic artist yeah. first. Real funny that they don't show that Deadpool, I mean, the, uh, Deadpool, that Deadman image that we're all thinking in our minds with the big face. You know, when they talk about the page design and all that, so like that's the one to show. You know, this is a little bit random right here. It's an amazing spread that they're looking at there. Um, he kind of gives Dead Man like the the big credit, right? Like that's the one that he mostly. Uh, that's when he started getting sexy with the with the page compositions and stuff. Looks like they un they unfolded the uh, deluxe the, the the reprint right the with the with the blue line color. I feel like he could be like the young Peter Falk. Absolutely, like a flashback. Yeah, yeah. Put that, put that stogie in his uh, mouth. The hair and everything. His, his eyes only focus on one subject at a time, though. Unlike uh, Peter Falk, <laughs> he can look. He can tell who's on the front porch and back porch at the same time. Do you think this is his office at Continuity? Yeah, I, I think so, man. Like he's got all the tools. Like that, that. TV, man. Is that a computer monitor? I, I don't know. Because that looks like a floppy drive behind his head. And they would need that kind of stuff to do, like, animatics and prepare that kind of thing to show the client. You know you got to show all that stuff at every at every stage. What a high-energy business to... Uh, participate in man because you know you're all you're all there in new york so like you gotta like whip that shit up put on a video cassette go run it over to the company get feedback quick one could say that frank miller working on batman now has done more to make a more given him frank given frank miller his props frank miller always tells the story about how he got in the game would take his stuff to continuity studios and how Neil Adams would mercilessly just kind of tear it apart with good reason, uh, but until the point where he's like, "All right, kid, you still suck, but I think I could get you a job." So I bet you, Frank Miller, to hear a proper compliment from Neil Adams, I bet that had meaning. Here's your bit. You disagree with uh, Uncle Neil right here, man? That's how good it can be. So if you put a good artist and a good writer together, and they try really hard. To do something good, it just gotta be a good time. And it can't be trash. Not at all. No? <laughs> I do disagree with <laughs> I wish it worked that way. The onus almost always falls on the writer's part. Like, when, when an artist goes for it, you can skate by much further than a purple over the top writer. The only reading medium that a kid will take money out of his own pocket and buy. This is that classic story of, like, you know, kids pulling out their loot to, like, buy comics and choosing to do so. You know, 80, 87, I was, I was a comic reader before I had uh, command of being able to read a word, man. Uh, I, I definitely had a stack of comic books that I was able to go back and, and read once I learned how to, to do so. So probably the last generation of that, I feel like. Yeah. He's been influenced by the classic horror films, the black. The Wrightson part is, so I'm so happy to have it, but he he's all aesthetics, right? Like mm -hmm. like it's all aesthetics. Like all these other guys, like they they added their whole wing, 
to the culture of comics. And I guess, you know, he's an influential guy, but, but it's all it's all in the visual. See, dude, this, this painting right here is the cover to the monograph that Jeff Darrow got in, like, the 70s that he, like, got rid of, like, his first run of uh, Kirby Fantastic Fours for and had to give extra money. Like, that's the cover. We need that book to, like, do, a, do an episode on. Do you think that Neil Adams is more than aesthetic? Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? I mean, he's business. Yeah. Well, we're we'll talking about, you know, business is a part of the, the medium of comics. Right, I'm for that. Uh, yeah, absolutely, he's more than aesthetic. Plus, creator rights. How about that? Dude, he looks jacked like fucking Henry Rollins, dude. Doesn't he? He looks hunky here, man. He does look hunky. And look at that natural lighting behind him. At the time that the book was originally written. Dude, those are the trees that are in that Frankenstein book. Boy, he looks young there, too. Like, for this to be, like, uh, again, I don't know anybody's age, but, man, he looks young. Yeah. He, I, he might be one of the youngest dudes in this thing. An archetype. Maybe. Trying to put myself in... I love this description of the Frankenstein stuff and how the wine is, like, not natural. Yeah, yeah, because people forget he is a badass painter. You know, he, he, can, he can do it all. And look at the paints he's going through. Like, look at that imagery right there to try to capture 3D. You know, he went so far in line. He went so far as to um, sculpt that Frankenstein face that you're looking at right there. He's got a sculpture of it that he created himself. So that he can shoot it with light and try to capture those abstractions. That Frankenstein I got hold of when I was in, uh, still in school, like, yeah. like maybe 10th grade or so, and it just, it just changed everything. Yeah. Because, you know, a part of it, what it is, like, so you're at the age when, like, Image Comics is out and everything, and you're seeing ridiculous, you're seeing detail that's meaningless. So then you see maybe the same amount of lines, maybe more lines in, in this uh, Bernie Wrights and stuff, and it actually has meaning mm -hmm. and, and is there for a reason. That's a, that's a beautiful studio right there, dude. In almost the same exact camera angle, there is a promo video for Frankenstein. You can find it on YouTube where he shows off the sculpture of the, uh, of the Frankenstein face. And look at that painting behind him. I, I don't know that piece. And, and, finished project product is is almost always this idea of like the projector from his mind yes. to uh the the paper that's that kim jong-ji shit you know that's that next level stuff i seen joe kubert draw that way and and neil adams draws that way like when we had rob lifeboat on this on the channel and i talked about like looking over neil's shoulder one time he's putting lines all over the paper and they start to materialize into like a Batman running in extreme foreshortening, but you would never know it for the first five minutes of drawing. I think that is a learnable technique, and yeah. I think it, 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 it used to be taught, maybe still is in some, some schools. That's how you get those liquid movements in uh, like the, the, the Neil Adams Batman that's like... If you connect the line, like, if you try to understand the anatomy as, like, proper, like, it's, it'll be wrong every time. See, this, these Batman horns, they, 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 they were the things that uh, stuck in my head when I was a little kid. That image right there so extreme. is what I couldn't get over. We've seen guys pick this image and uh, Tim Vigil doing it. Yeah, it's true. 
and nobody argued. That's true. You know, because it was it was my interpretation. It was it was such a great idea too, where it's like you build your own vehicle. And then you you bring in Batman, and then that means you you could do whatever you want. Such a bold concept. Yeah, up to that point, I don't think anybody was really doing much different. Uh, you know, no no Adams obviously kind of gave him like realistic lighting and stuff. Like, look at the drapery, dude. Yeah, this is like, phenomenal. The planes of the light from from above, and just that accurate shading with really really good folds. He's always been good at drapery. All of Kelly Jones is in that image. Sure. And his explanation of horror. What a great way to sign it off, huh? My drawings of monsters and, and um, the creeping dead crawling out of their graves and vampires and <laughs> Frankenstein's monster and whatnot. A disciple of... You, you like, mix up uh, Frazetta, Ghastly Graham Ingalls, a well-dressed man standing on and, like, Crinkle, and then you get Bernie Wrightson. Yeah, this right here, dude. Except a little blood on his shoe. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> he raises his eyebrows. Yeah, he does. Those big, thick, ghastly <laughs> Graham Ingalls eyebrows. Here's ultimate pretense right here. Moebius. Van Gogh. He, he says Van Gogh real fucked up. Yeah, yeah, a couple of times. I think he says it differently, too. Whenever he says it twice in the beginning, I think he says it differently. Van Gogh. ...to be one of Europe's greatest illustrators. His styles are as varied as the many names... He's there with a... Has he got a pipe? Yeah, yeah. He hasn't smoked it the whole time. I think, I think in the... Uh, when, when Gary was talking about doing the interview with him, and it might even be in the interview at different points in time, like Harlan Ellison would be interviewed to have like blondes on his lap and shit, just chicks with him. He's totally maybe. I want I want to wring his fucking neck with that. <laughs> I really do. It could because if if not for the part where he's like, you know, if you don't know French, you might call him Mobius, and it's like let's let's hear how Mobius calls his fucking name as soon as we see him. For the pages of Metal Erlon, which is a French graphic illustration, literally means look at how hard that shit is. I that's one of the issues that I got when I was a kid, like one of the early issues that I scooped up when I found out that heavy metal was. I saw the cartoon when I was in third grade, and then it's like that thing where it's like you see something and then out in the wild you you notice it more. I can't even imagine seeing that in third grade. Yeah, yeah, dude. Uh, it was. It was. Uh, I'm reading like Lion Witch in the Wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> that movie would have melted my brain. It was it was on super late at night on uh, Cinemax, and you know, there's nudity, all that kind of stuff. It blew, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I do think he sums up Morbius really well in that intro. Yeah, he does. When I did that, I was very young, and for me, it was. Is that an Arzac uh, sculpture? Looks like it. Behind him, or a cookie jar or something. I was not uh, looking for a You could tell he's such a seeker. You know, like the, like the concepts that he lays out in the conversation. Maybe I would have a different name on every strip. I wouldn't know where it's going. Uh, he talks about the differences between commercial art. Some of these paintings are just crazy that that's him. Yeah, yeah. He would talk about the commercial art and wanting to, to stretch and like do his own thing. Start a story in one style, finish in another. Like, when have you seen something? Like, like these ideas are just, they're all in his head. The dude is a real artist. Yeah, it's, it's pretty forward, the uh, different styles. Very few artists are working that way, especially commercial artists thinking that way, working that way. 
And he and he has a piece. Let's see where they do they show the taint and ball sack. Yeah, they do. Sweet. <laughs> I was wondering if this is Sweet. like you know, do you do you get a uh, different rating uh, when when if you let that that show up, man? Um, what an image on the on the left here. Yeah. Oh, man. And you know what? On a cathode ray tube TV, because like we know what that is. There's so much hatching, but it's so smoothed out by the video quality and everything that uh, it just it looks so blended. I mean, this too, like all these images talk about spectacular. Yeah. yeah. He's a wild dude. You can see how Jodorowsky would fucking get his clutches on him and hold on to him forever. And he he parrots a lot. Of, well, I'm not going to say parrots, but, but he and Jodorowsky are on the same wavelength with a lot of stuff that he's going to talk about, about the idea of like being the warrior, like, like Jodorowsky and Dune would talk about being a spiritual warrior. Like Mobius is my spiritual warrior. H.R. Giger is my spiritual warrior. He uses that term here as being a fearless pursuer of, of innovation of new things when it comes to comic book art he gives some respect he's like listen there's a responsibility to being a jobber basically is what he's saying yeah sure you got to feed your family all that stuff but you know it's up to us to push the comic medium the publisher isn't going to do it yeah see it's 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 up to the artist, man. Like, are you going to be a part of the system? Are you going to try some things? And it turns out, like, the guys who try some things and who are right, they create a new wing of comics. They create a new aesthetic of, of comics making. I, I, I do think that we make a mistake of grouping, like, everybody that draws a comic is the same. Right. Like, like there are different jobs. Absolutely. But if you want to stay in that field... Looks hip with that ring in his ear. Because it's not the publisher who will who will push. And it's not the the public. It's the artist. The the public boy. He's talking about like, I know what you need. You know what you think you want, but I have what you need. You know, I feel like we're lining up comics right now for this oh, know, absolutely. Like the ambitious artist really yeah it's great to hear Mobius say that yeah not the publisher not the public it's the artist yep now this guy arguably at this point in time 87 he this is probably the big get I would say at, at this moment in time uh Dark Knight Returns was getting so much fanfare so much attention even Warner, you know, like they're getting ten thousand, fifteen thousand dollar ads in Playboy magazine for Dark Knight Returns. Like they're doing a big push for this guy. I like there's some Ronin talk. Sure, because that that was a book that when I come into comics is almost forgotten. Like it's sure. not it's not a big book in 1990. It's true, and uh, it's edited well into the video because you got to have Mobius first. You got Mobius so that Frank Miller can call back to Mobius after you just seen five, ten minutes of a Mobius art. Dude, they chose all the money shots of Ronin and Dark Knight. Like, these two pieces. That blood on Batman's hand is something that I stared at so much. It felt so realistic. The tinge of on of blood on that gray. And then look at the abstraction here that Lynn Varley was doing with this is the... This, with is the uh, this was my first, you know, this is my first Dark Knight. Yeah. And it revolutionizes the way we think about comic books. Uh, this is Frank Miller. He's hot. Better take a look at him. We've got to keep in mind that the he is hot. people have of superheroes. 
is the is Adam West playing Batman on the old TV show? That's what had to be overcome. I wonder what this setting is right here. Because if it is Frank Miller's studio, then those are like Charles Williford and Mickey Spillane paperbacks right behind his head. But then what's behind his head at the left? Is that some Alin stuff? It looks like a strawberry shortcake, like a bonnet or something. Yeah, no idea. I want to know, is it is this Frank's uh, studio? If you if you know, put something in the comments. No conjectures, though. You know, you, you go back Boy, he's to young, too. He must be 30 there. He says so. You know, he's he's like, I only, I haven't been in the game for 10 years. You know, that's how he signs off. He's he's like, I'm new at this. And it's, you know, he's looked at as, like, the hot guy. So the cool thing about this video is that you get no feedback from, you don't hear the question that the, that the interviewer is asking. But I don't think he would have taken the last bit of this conversation to the place of, like, I don't know where the medium is going if he wasn't asked that. So I think the interviewer is looking at him as like a this wonder kid kind of like worst things going, and that is such a fucking trap to get caught up in if you're like that young hot guy. Like you can't be believing your own shit, and and I think he handles that conversation great. Also, because of all the promo that he's been doing over the past couple of years, and I think up to this point he did at least three TCJ interviews. He's pretty comfortable on the cam and on the mic. Absolute proof. He has his cadence, like that he's always uh, had. This is a great time. And he does speak. This is that Ronan talk. Yeah. And he talks about how it, it could be a, a, a different, totally different field. Um, yeah. Terrific production value. I was able to work in. Imagine that. Like, the possibility of Ronan wasn't there in comics when he got into the game. He was fully prepared. It's like how Klaus was talking about. He was fully prepared to maybe be an anchor of Daredevil. Klaus said Daredevil. Uh, so then you build up this equity as a creative force. The direct market starts to build itself around you. Comic shop starts to establish and create this new platform that you can take advantage of. And I like that he stretched himself real far and created this cacophony that is Ronin. That early interview, I can't remember if it's in comics interview or where, but it's 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 before Ronan drops, but it's what he's working on. Yeah, it is re revelatory. Like talking about Janet Khan and the stuff he's doing, it's just you can sense like this is like nothing I've ever heard of. Yeah. On the channel, we looked at the artist edition for uh, Ronan, and he draws it bigger than regular comic pages, bigger than a ten by fifteen image area, and at that size, you can see how he's being quick very kinetic with the inks and stuff but when it gets reduced down you would never know how kind of simple a lot of that art is and yeah, i love this a cartoonist totally where, where that simplicity comes from you know even with elaborate inking and stuff it's true uh the 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 stuff that he's talking about here is great and i like the parts where he's talking about you know the best of comics is generally done by the single person but it doesn't have to be you know he he, he uses words that are important student education like this dude is a studier of of comics he's a philosopher of comics i believe it is yeah i get the impression it's obsession you know that that 10 years just a guy that's completely obsessed and then burns out yeah my collaborations with with i mean the stuff that he did the stuff with uh, lynn barley sure this, uh, the, like, you know, on his drawing table, on his on his typewriter, while he's doing this, uh, are three projects. You know, like two Bill Sienkiewicz joints, 
Electra lives again, gestated from this this period. Imagine with his mindset as being a student, and and you're and that's what's on. That's what's coming through you. That's what you've got to process. Is like Bill Sienkiewicz pages, and right? Mazzucchelli at that time, like it's that rope dope man. Where like it, it, those artists certainly kept Frank Miller on his toes. You're very new at this. You know, I could give you a better definition of the best way to do the form in about 30 years to get back to me. <laughs> 30 years? I think it's been 30 years. Frank, come on the channel. <laughs> we have the questions to ask you, sir. Come on the channel sooner than later, please, by the way. Saw you out there in Baltimore. And, and this is like, this feels like Harlan Ellison guilty pleasure territory. Because like, He's like, let me try to explain this to you. Follow me on this, guys. As he has his fake pipe. <laughs> his prop pipe. His prop pipe. <laughs> is, 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 dude, is this, uh, you know, McLeod inspired? This is not, not a pipe? Dude, that's the other thing, by the way, with Cerebus. Is like, it might be spare color, but... But Sim is coloring a cover every every month also on top of all of his other duties. Dude, that high society building. Can you fucking believe that shit? That's Gerhard, man. It is such a... Um, boy, it's hard to even wrap your head around Sim at this point. But say 100 issues in or whatever, one of the most fantastic comics ever done. Absolutely. Yeah, we should look at more in, of this early stuff. metric, you know, like the way the audience that was there for what he was doing... But, like, what we're looking at right here, like, I mean, I feel like we're looking at an affected dude already. You know what I'm saying? Got the little earring in, hiding the eyes. Maybe, maybe, like, let's let's see how bloodshot them eyes are. Probably got a $200 haircut. I was going to say, I think it's colored. Yeah. Yeah. But why not? You know what I mean? Like, he's fighting an industry. He's bougie. Uh there it is right there to drop some numbers about 30,000 people reading that stuff monthly and he's not getting a 10% royalty or whatever like he's getting all of it and you know a small percentage of that goes back into the publishing of the next issue or whatever but this guy talk about a machine and and I I mean a success like dude 30,000 a month a couple hundred thousand comics a year coming from one guy this guy, you know, he had to rake in millions in the during the heyday. And he would he would flex that stuff, you know, like but like, we're getting we're getting an interesting Dave Sim here because you know he's little you know he's little more than a hundred issues in or whatever, and and he's still, you know, he talks about talking heads are are important and 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 the conversation that basically the relationships between people. At a certain point, he doesn't have relationships with people anymore. That's a good point. You know, it becomes just such a, a, a sort of time sink that he doesn't have time to, you know, he doesn't take time to, to be with others. Every relationship he builds, you know, gets 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 harmed, including the Gerhard stuff, I think. Um, it's a consequence of... of, of Keeping your head down. I think that's and true. And being so inward, con so constantly. Yeah, you're you're positioned as a god. Basically, we discover that you know you're creating all of it. Right. And and you just, it's not a, it's not healthy. And the thing is, he, he I, like he's he's it, it's the same thing as like 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 the George Lucas or or like the, the Kanye West stuff where like he 
took a gamble and he he proved himself correctly against all odds and that's where where that's where you can get fucked up man where if you prove everybody else wrong in a single instance you might think you would catch that lightning in a bottle again you might think you're right more than you're wrong and that could fucking bite you so hard man it could cause you a lot of trouble in your life you gotta have people that pull you down when 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 uh you're flying too close to that sun with wings made of wax but it's great to have uh sim of this era on on the record because he's very cogent it's a really interesting perspective on comics and, and the medium, too. He has his passive aggression here. How many people are getting thrown off of balconies? A direct watchman uh, diss. As he goes along, pretty much as the winds shift. It's one of those things that... I don't know whether history will ever correct, but it's so dismissed at this point. Yeah. And I mean, you know, maybe many of those issues aren't very good, but boy, there are a lot that are. As a whole piece, like it's 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 a, in my main bookshelf, you know, not far from the complete crumb comics, every trade paperback, and as a whole, like that 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 is art it becomes darger. You know, like I was like, gonna say, like put it in the outsider art museum at it, the very least. It's Vivian Girl like Vivian Girls is fifteen thousand pages, so you know Gave some had to compromise. He didn't draw. He didn't write fifteen thousand page novel, but he wrote. He drew an eight thousand page comic. Makes so much sense, man. That you close the thing out with Spiegelman. Uh, so you give the entire history of comic books uh, with everybody earlier, and you know you have the pop star in the direct market, which is Frank Miller, but then. Spiegelman feels like the culmination of all of it. You take the Eisnerian bits that work. You take the Kurtzman bits that work. And, you know, the bouginess of what comics could be. And then you, you cram it into uh, Spiegelman. It's so interesting that he chooses comic books to work in, in, you know, and I guess maybe there aren't alternatives when he starts in the early 80s, but not the guy I would expect to be a defender of comic books, this format, Spiegelman. Yeah, I don't know that he uh, defends the format all that very much. He, he defends the medium. The, um, I don't want to say lowbrow, but it's such a human way to tell a story like this. We covered the uh, Harlan Ellison uh, issue of Daredevil, by the way. We have a video of that. This is the this is the the loft, man. This is the legendary loft. This is where they were tearing up. Raw magazine number seven covers and pasting them back in. I have that template that's right by his hand with the cigarette, the green one with the big circles. Yeah. Where it's like those are half circles, and then you just connect the uh, the lines, and then you can get a bigger circle than you could ever get with a compass. And although those things were essential tool. But this is the loft. Like in this loft is like a, a printing press that Francois has. See that school of visual arts poster behind him, dude. 
I was wondering if that panter in the background, if that's an original or if it's a print. <laughs> Is that a panter? I think so. Yeah. Process, but it wasn't something I was eager to enter into just to tell one more. Huh. Now you have me doubting whether it's panter. Yeah, I just don't know. It's just too much work for that. So I had to find a story that was really important enough for me to I like this. That's Mark Newgarden. I think it's panter, though. And now seems like about the most challenging thing. They always show this image uh, when, whenever there's mouse coverage on TV. I, like even in Comic Confidential, this this is like one of the striking images. You know what's interesting? Thinking about it is that uh, like that that um, volume two of Raw that comes out in the '90s. Like he's still doing mouse. Mm -hmm. You know, like like he still hasn't gotten um, the Pulitzer yet. I think that happens in '90. So like he doesn't even know how much it's going to grow for him. Probably no scholastic deal, uh, putting these comics into uh, grade schoolers' hands and stuff. But I'm certainly respected at the time. Look at those lines, dude. I love when he talks about the tools, and it's just like, I'm using felt pens and stuff that you could go down and get at... at Typing paper. Yeah. Compared to other comic books and compared to other things that I've done. I always think this is, like, beautiful, and it always surprises me when people are critical of it as, like, a, uh, like the art form. I never really hear it. Uh, it like, like, the places where I do hear it is, um, it's, there's still reverence. Like, I remember Crumb. Stationary supplies, he calls it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love Crumb, uh, in this one interview, was talking about uh, the artists who are, like, have limited ability but could, like, do good things with their work. And, and he called, he called uh, Spiegelman out numero uno. Yeah. And I, I get what he means, but he also said nice. He's like the guy has limited ability, and can like do some stuff. Because Crum, the conversation was Crumb was talking about how he's a drawer first. Yeah. Uh, but but there are guys in comics who who aren't that way. Yeah, have the idea, and Spiegelman being the top of that list. But you know the marks are so important to me. Like I look at a Schultz and go, it's great. But really, if you were thinking of like a drawer, nobody's looking at Schultz and going, oh, that's a drawer. Right. But, I, but I, you know, it's comics. Like totally. It's cartoons. Since all we're really talking Look at his old noodley period. Yeah. Ace-hole. <laughs> Do you think drawing at that size, like the 6x9 for a mouse, creates some sort of um, personal connection with a reader that it's like, this is, the pay, this is what I drew, this is how I saw it? That's how he's describing it, that's for sure, man. Yeah, I just wonder about that kind of thing. And, like, I... Uh, I have, you know, the, my Mudfish comic that I was going to put out, but then I got cold feet and will put out posthumously. It's it's drawn, you know, on a piece of, on typing paper size yeah. and stuff. And, and, like, I like it, you know, like... Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a Noah Van Skyver that, like, draws at that size. Like, uh, the Wimbledon Green stuff, which is, like, the, my favorite of Seth's comics, were just, like, drawn in sketchbooks. See, this is when he's talking about, I would love, like, you know, disavow genre... Uh, all the things that he's talking about here, but basically his 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 wishes came true, and uh, I would say that like it's obviously it's a good thing, but you can't stay there because if you do, you are pushing out the proletariat. You know that you are pushing out the the regular folk, and then you're going to relegate comics to poetry, which is not something I want. I want it to be uh, populist, like like I want everybody to be able to fuck with comics. So have your genre stuff. Have your Biff Bam Pal shit, but go off in a corner, go do some bougie stuff and let it hit uh, and let, you know, the New Yorker crowd have something to enjoy. But uh, we, we are in a place now 
where we basically have it all. Yeah, yeah, not a, in, in either or. Uh, Kitch's name up there, like second, second billing on here. Yeah, yeah. There was also a guy named Chris Rock, but I, uh, someone tells me he's not the same guy. Yeah, I'm not thinking not. the same dude. Anyhow, man, there's our uh, audio commentary wow. for Masters of Comic Book Art. Uh, the Patreon patrons uh, who have uh, helped support the channel get to be with us in in tandem while we are recording this. Hit up the Patreon in the description below. You'll get all our videos. Uh, well ahead of uh, anybody else, but we're still putting videos out every single day. Jimmy, what do you have out in the wild, man? Street Angel, Deadly Squirrel, Alive, The Plain Janes, and Hulk Grand Design are the books to go track down. And join me on patreon.com slash jimrug where you can see more of my art and comics and you can download out of print zines and mini comics. Red Room Trigger Warnings is the book that I have out on the racks right at this given moment, man. Uh, I'm serializing new Red Room comics uh, right now on my Patreon. Jimmy, why don't you give them their marching orders and we will be on our way. Make more comics.